0: continue preaching out of Galatians. Just to set the scene, we've been looking at Galatians for a number of, of um, months, and I've been looking at the whole thing of what Paul is trying to get us to understand, that as Christians we we don't live under rules. We live by the Spirit of God. We live we live, and walk through our lives hearing the voice of God for ourselves, and then we get to hear His voice and we get to obey, and it's a great privilege that we have as Christians. So we, we don't live... Uh, according to a moral code and that's what paul has been trying to explain in this book and so many people think that christianity is about following rules and it's a moral code it's not really at all that it's exactly the opposite of that it's learning to hear the voice of god for yourself which includes obedience and includes adopting a certain lifestyle but you do that out of love for god rather than living by a moral code And so that's what Paul has been trying to get us to understand, and I've been looking at that in the first four chapters. And here, in chapter 5, Paul starts speaking about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we're going to have a look at that this morning. Last last week, we had a look at the first uh, section of this um, chapter, and we're going to look at the second section today. So I want to read the whole thing for you this morning from verse 16 through to verse 21. And this is what Paul says. But I say... Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, emulatory, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Amen. Come on now. And those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so like I said, we had a look at the first half of those verses last week, and what I try to show you is that religion motivates out of fear. Any religion motivates out of fear, and that has to do with punishment. If you do not obey the rules, you will be punished. That's how religion works. And I try to show you that um, that's not how we live as Christians. In the gospel, the motivation for life is love. It's far more positive. It's far more glorious. We live from being motivated in all things by love. And so that's what we saw in the last verse of chapter 5, if you remember, and Paul is now spelling out for us in this portion of this chapter the big picture about this dynamic of love and how it works in our lives. That we don't live selfishly. We don't live, and remember, we said in Galatians 5 do not use your freedom to be self indulgent, just to do what you want to do, to live indulgently. Paul says that's not love. Love is living for others, and that's what the, the freedom that Christ has bought for us, that what he, that's how He wants us to live. He wants us to live living for others, giving ourselves away, loving the lost, the broken, in welcoming the refugee. Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? I was just looking at the Old Testament. Do you know the Old Testament encourages us over and over and over and over again to welcome the alien, the stranger, and the refugee? Did you know Jesus was a refugee as a baby? He had to flee to Egypt. He was a refugee there for years before they came back. Come on now, something in our hearts needs to be motivated by love as we look at the world which is desperate, lost and broken and there are refugees all over the place. Can I just throw that thought in? As we think about the future and about next year and how we're going to respond over the years and years and years and years that lie ahead. This problem is not going to go away. It's time for the church to rise up and respond with hearts that are filled with love, not hatred, not anxiety, not fear, not oh what's going to happen to me. That's what that's what fear does, isn't it? It causes you to live selfishly, it shrivels your heart. No? We have to fight that. Enlarge our hearts and say, Jesus, we trust you with our future, and we trust you for the future of our country, and we're going to live with love is the basic motivation. So that's what I tried to show you last week, and I tried to show you that this is a battle that we have to fight. Remember, the flesh pulls us one way. The Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. And then I said to you that basically... Uh, when Paul says you will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's not really talking about salvation. He's not saying if you sin, you're going to lose your salvation. What he is saying is you're not going to enjoy the fullness of the kingdom right now in your life if you behave like that. If you want righteousness, peace, and joy, which is the evidence of the Holy Spirit right now in your life, don't give in your relationships to anger. Don't give to, to division and dissension. Don't sow to the flesh in that way. Because if you do, you're not going to enjoy righteousness, peace and joy right now. You will enjoy enmity. You will enjoy fighting in your family if you are always angry with each other. <laughs> That's what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, don't live like that. Don't sow to that. Because if you sow to that, the result is you're not going to see the fullness of God's kingdom in your life. You might go to heaven one day. That's, it's assured. We, we are saved by faith. But you're not going to enjoy the fullness of God in your life. So my encouragement to you is that we would learn to walk by the Spirit. And do I do that perfectly? No, I don't. None of us do. But that's God's call to us, that we need to learn to hear His voice and walk by the Spirit. So what I would like to focus on this morning is the thing of fruit. And this is what Paul says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. We listed all of those things. And I want to say by introduction that to be led by the Spirit means that we are committing ourselves to change. To be led by the Spirit means we are committing ourselves to change and be changed by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and that we start becoming the people that God wants us to be. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit, And I think that's an incredibly liberating thing. It's a freeing thing because we open our hearts and we allow God to transform us from the inside and He develops more and more of Christ on the inside of us. It's freeing. And so I'd like to uh, look at Paul's language quite carefully this morning. I love his writing. He's always very clear and he always chooses his images very carefully. Do you notice that he says in verse 19... That he talks about the acts plural of the sinful nature, but he speaks about the fruit singular of the Holy Spirit. Now I don't know about you, but whenever I hear the word fruit, it thinks I think it automatically of farming. I think of uh, agriculture. That's where that's what it conjures in my mind: farming, agriculture, fruit, trees, etc., etc. And uh, there are four things that that image can help us understand about fruit and how it grows in our lives. The first thing I want to say is this. Fruit grows gradually. Fruit grows gradually. This is what I mean. We, as Christians, grow gradually. If you plant a potato or carrot or any kind of um, tree that produces fruit, you don't immediately see the fruit, do you? It takes a season. Sometimes with a fruit tree, it takes years before you actually see the fruit. But you can measure it over a period of time. And that's how it is in our lives as Christians. We don't see the growth immediately. We don't necessarily see immediate fruits, but hopefully when you are faced with a difficult situation in your life and you, you um, reflect on how you handle it, hopefully you will say, a couple of years ago, I would have handled this so differently. I would have not been so patient. I would have not been so self-controlled as I am now. If that's your testimony, then I want to say that is evidence of the fruit of God in your life, that you are changing. And I don't accuse anyone this morning. I'm just saying as we look at our lives... Can we see over a period of time, years and years and years, that we are changing and that we are changing in our reactions to people? We are changing in how we interact with people. If we can measure that, then we are producing fruit. That's a brilliant, wonderful thing. The first thing is fruit grows gradually. Secondly, fruit grows inevitably. This is what I mean. There will be growth. If you are saved, if you know Jesus there will be fruit in your life. Uh, Nick, can you just put those pictures up for me, please? These are pictures of Angkor Wat. This is where we went to Cambodia the, last year, and uh, these are incredible pictures to me because can you see the temple behind the roots of the tree? Can you see that? These temples are thousands of years old, and these trees are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. You want to go to the next one, Nick? Just, uh, there's, I love this picture. Isn't that incredible? Come to Cambodia with us next year to, so we can go to Anchor Watch. You can see this for yourself. That is incredible. These old, old Buddhist temples and uh, Hindu temples and these massive, massive trees that are growing. They've kind of birthed themselves in the rock and they're just the roots are breaking everything open and they've just been growing for hundreds of years. There's a third one I would to like. Look at that. Isn't that incredible? You see, this is a profound picture for me of seeds <laughs> once those trees were tiny little seeds they weren't like that they were tiny little seeds that grew and there was a, there's an inevitability when you plant a seed that something is going to happen and it's going to grow and those of you smiling you've probably played Tomb Raider those video games this is where Tomb Raider comes from anchor what? That's where they got all the visuals for the game from. Anyway, I'm getting distracted now. But there's, <laughs> there's power in seeds, isn't there? And the hardness of the rock here, the temple, is completely broken open just as the seed grows. And that's a very, very powerful image for us of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but there are areas of my life that feel sometimes like they are hard as rock. And as much as I try, I can't see breakthrough in those areas. Have you ever, do you experience that at all? Or is it just the preacher this morning? There are areas of our hearts that still seem to be as hard as rock. This is the wonder of what I'm saying to you this morning. If the seed of the Holy Spirit is in your heart, it will break that rock open over a period of time, and you will see the fruit. Just like that tree grows. It's beautiful. That's how God works in our lives. That's how it is with every Christian, not just the special ones, all of us, every single Christian. God's word to you and God's promise to you, if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus, there is this promise to you that incredible fruit will come out of your life over a period of time. It is inevitable if you will just listen to the voice of the Spirit. So it's very encouraging on one level, It's also very challenging on another level because we all have to honestly ask ourselves this question, is there fruit growing in my life? Is there fruit growing in my life? And I want to say, as a bedrock of what I'm saying this morning, we are not saved by the fruit. We are saved by faith. We're not saved by the fruit. But we are also not saved by a fruitless faith. Can I put it like that? We are not saved by fruitless faith. If if there's no if there's no fruit coming out of our lives, then we have to ask some other very basic questions. And I want to put it to you this morning that if we are saved by faith, if we know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, fruit will come. It has to. It's inevitable. The third thing I want to say is this: the fruit of the Spirit has internal roots. Uh, It's not just about the external, the thing that you can see. It's not. It's not just about um, the fruit. Uh, All of you are familiar in in English gardens or or gardens in the UK, the common garden variety apple tree. Everyone knows apple tree well? My question to you this morning is this. Do do the apples make the tree alive? Obviously they don't. You could take the apples off the tree. You could uh, go to another tree. You could connect them by some kind of mechanism to the tree. It doesn't bring any life to the tree. Very simple observation. What brings Life is what's happening on the inside of the tree that produces the fruit on the outside of the tree. The life inside is producing the fruit outside. And so this is the great problem that I see with the church. The great problem with the church is this. When we see gifts, when we see amazingly gifted people, we say automatically, the Holy Spirit is at work in that person. You know, the Bible never says that. (laughs) The gifts that God gives to people are grace gifts. You do not deserve them. You might have the most amazing gift of healing in your life. It does not mean your life is being transformed from the inside by the grace of God. Oh, Anthony, that's outrageous. How dare you say that? Well, I put it to you that Judas, who was part of Jesus' disciples... King Saul, who was the king of, of, of Israel, they were used by the Holy Spirit to prophesy, to do miracles, to do incredible things, but they did not have renewed hearts being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes it clear in verse 22, he says this, Am I, am I against the gifts of the Spirit? Uh, no, I'm not. And next year we're going to be looking at healing, and we're going to be looking at Prayer, and we're going to be looking at prophecy, and we're going to look at all the wonderful gifts that God gives us. I'm not against the gifts at all. I want more of the gifts, but I want more of the fruit as well. Amen. Okay, so Paul makes it quite clear, verse 22 if you are truly led by the Spirit, you will grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And so I'm saying the obvious outward gifts that we see, they may operate from a graceful heart or they may not operate from a graceful heart but only the fruit of the Spirit can be produced in a Christian someone that knows God that is a child of God and so I put it to you this morning that the only test and the true test of God indwelling us is not the gifts that we exhibit on the outside <laughs> it's the fruit that we exhibit coming from the inside And so you might say that's strongly put. Well, I don't think it is too strongly put because Paul says exactly the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13 that we quote at weddings all the time about what love is. And what does he say? He says, if I speak in tongues, one of the gifts of men and angels, but I do not have love, I am a resounding gong. What does he go on to say? A clashing symbol. I am nothing. I have nothing. For Paul, it was all about the inside-out transformation and the fruit of the Spirit being changing people's lives and the gifts are an absolute blessing that we enjoy as well. But let's not, not look at the external, the gifts that we see. Let's look at the internal and say, Jesus, am I becoming more fruitful in my life? Amen? Then I'd like to say, fourthly, Christian growth is symmetrical. It's gradual. It's inevitable. It's got internal roots, and it's symmetrical. This is what I mean by symmetrical. I've said to you right at the beginning, Paul speaks about the acts, plural, of the sinful nature, and the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit. Why does he do that? Paul doesn't mess with words. He thinks very clearly about what he says. Well, he uses one word to describe a whole list. Do you notice that? And that helps us to learn another very important thing and how we can discern the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. The real fruit of the Spirit always grows together. It always grows together. Those, those things that are listed there are one. This is what I mean. You don't get one part growing without the other, part, other parts growing as well. There is, all of them grow at the same time in our lives. And when we look at this list, uh, I will go through it in a short while. When you look at the list of the the fruits, you will see, if you look at it, that you are naturally stronger in some of the areas than than you are in others. Yeah? But our strengths, and when I say strengths, I'm talking about our natural temperament and gifting, apart from the Holy Spirit. They are part of our natural things that God has blessed us with. Sometimes it's the way our brains are wired. Sometimes we've learned some things early in our lives because we had to confront some some difficult situations, so we learned some things. Uh, I will pick myself as an example. This is what I mean. Some people by temperament are gentle and diplomatic. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. Helen is one of those people. She is gentle and diplomatic, but the clue that gentleness and diplomacy is not necessarily a part, a a product of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that gentle, diplomatic people very seldom, at the same time, are bold and courageous. Bold and courageous people generally are not diplomatic. As I'm making a generalization, of course. Now, if we can learn by the power of the Holy Spirit to have fruit produced in our lives so that we can be bold and courageous and also diplomatic and gentle, that is a very powerful thing. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, And I'm just like that. I just tell people what I think. I just tell them what I think and and I'm, I'm all about truth and everyone's broken around you. What is the good of that? Uh, We can't live like that. We have to be truth carriers that are courageous and bold and gentle and kind. That all comes by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside, transforming us. And so, I love my wife. She's brilliant. But I have to encourage her to be bold. Bold by the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's not her natural temperament. And she has to encourage me to be kind and gentle because it's not my natural temperament. I just want to get things done. Yes? And so we need to learn that God wants us to have all these fruit growing at the same time in in us. They grow as one. You can't have one without the other. They all grow up together. And so remember what John writes in 1 John... uh, 420. He says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. (laughs) He doesn't say he's not saved. He doesn't say he's unbalanced. He just says, if you say you love God and you don't love each other, you're lying. That's it. (laughs) And so this is what I say, this is what I'm trying to say to you. If we genuinely love God, and I know we all love God, there must be at the same time a simultaneous love for each other that is growing. Um, And they both have to be present. And I know probably I'm laboring this point this morning, but I feel like I just want to get it out there. And I've met over the years many, many people in church life, and some are happy, bubbly, joyful people. They're brilliant at meeting new people. But over a period of time, they prove to be unreliable. Have you ever met those kind of people? Maybe you can see something of these things in your own life as I have in mine. And so there's not a corresponding faithfulness. They're great at meeting other people, but that faithful thing is, is, is lacking. And I would say that's not real joy in, in the way that the, the, the Scripture describes it. That's just being extrovert. That's just being an extrovert person. The other people that I've met that seem unflappable. Nothing gets them down. They're not bothered by anything. There's a sense of peace in their lives. But at the same time, they're not kind. They're not gentle. They're unflappable. Nothing gets them down. And I would say that's not real peace in the way that the Bible describes peace. At best, that's indifference. Perhaps at worst, it's cynicism. And that might enable you to get through your life without feeling hurt by certain things. But it also desensitizes you. It makes you much less approachable. People won't engage because they feel like you're not going to understand them. And so my point this morning is simply that whatever your natural temperament is, whatever it is, and we all have different natural temperaments, all of us, <laughs> every single one of us needs more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Yeah? Can you say amen? Yeah, all of us need the fruit of the Spirit. So I, please, I'm not accusing anybody. Eh? I'm saying this all's true for me. So let's have a look then quickly at... Um, what Paul says about the fruit. What's the first thing he says? The first thing that motivates us is love. And it's agape, love there in the Greek. And uh, I want to just put it quite simply this morning. To love someone means that you serve that person for their good, for their intrinsic worth, for their intrinsic value, and not what that person brings you. Yeah? That's selfish, to love someone for what they can give you. The opposite of genuine love is fear. And I've spoken a little bit about the, the, this morning, how does fear uh, manifest itself? Well, we want to tra- we want to protect ourselves. Those people are not coming here. You know, those guys from 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 Syria, we'll, they're not coming here. We'll protect ourselves. We don't want them bringing their stuff. And all, you know, they infiltrate. All the terrorists are infiltrating now. And we, we must all be filled with fear. I'm being a bit naughty, but I'm trying to make a point. That's not love self-protection is never love. <laughs> I'm going to have no friends left. <laughs> Thank you. The fake version, the counterfeit of love, is selfish affection. It's where you are attracted to some person because, and you treat them a certain way because of how they make you feel about yourself. We're not talking about that. We're talking about God doing something on the... And I'm not saying these are easy things. I'm saying this is why it has to be the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Holy Spirit. That can live, uh, enable us to open our hearts and live like that. Secondly, Paul says joy. The Greek is chara, C-A-R-A. And simply delighting in God for who He is. It's simply delighting in... Um, Joyfully in the sheer beauty of who God is. And the opposite is hopelessness or despair. And uh, I want to put it to you that whenever there's hopelessness and despair in our lives, that we're not really seeing God for who He is. Because when we see Him for who He is, He brings lightness to us, doesn't He? He changes us on the inside. And so the counterfeit of, Bibli- of, of, of biblical joy is that feeling of elation that you get when you experience His blessings but you're not really concerned about the person that gives you the blessings. You're concerned just about the blessings. And if if you're finding in yourself, in your life, that there are mood swings in your life, that are uh, are dependent on the circumstances that you are in, when your circumstances are good, you feel elated. When your circumstances are bad, you feel depressed. I want to say to you kindly, that's not biblical joy. Because God wants to give us that delight in who He is, not based on our circumstances, but based on who He is. Does that mean we don't emotionally go up and down? Of course we do have times when we are emotionally struggling. I'm not negating that, but I'm saying the overwhelming tone of our lives. If our life is going up and down like this because of our circumstances, then we must ask God for more of the fruit of the spirit of joy in our life. So we can get through that. Okay? You still... Still there? Thirdly, peace. Here's the Greek word is Irene, that Paul uses here. And peace is simply that confidence, that rest, that God is in control. That's biblical peace, rather that we are in control. And we can know that we are living in the peace of God when we are not anxious, when we are not worrying. And I want to put it to you this this morning, with all that is happening in our world, which is so devastating to all of us, let us ask God to keep us in his peace. And that means we can live anxious, anxious free, worry free. Are you with me? What's the, what's the counterfeit of, of biblical um, peace? I put it to you the, and the opposite of biblical peace is indifference, it's apathy, it's not really caring. It's saying that thing's too small for me to care about don't really need to care about That's just indifference. That's not peace. It might give you that feeling where you're not feeling anxious, but it's not biblical peace. Fourth, patience. Macrothumia is the Greek word. What does Paul mean when he says patience? Well, he means this, that the, we can face trouble in our lives without blowing up. <laughs> That's what it means to be patient. To be able to walk through your life without and facing all difficult things and not blow up. Not kind of... <sighs> disintegrate what's the opposite of biblical patience well it's resentment towards other people uh, it's, it's cynicism it's lack of care fifth kindness krestostos was the greek word ability to serve others even when it makes you feel vulnerable that's what it means to be kind that only comes from a, a deeply secure place in your life you know that the opposite of, of biblical kindness is envy Envy. Envy is that thing that happens when we are unable to rejoice in another person's blessing. Such an ugly thing. Can't rejoice when someone else has had a blessing in their lives. We're envious. It's not kind. It's not biblical kindness. And so the opposite of that is we we can manipulate. We can do good deeds, but our heart is manipulative because we want others to congratulate us, and we want to congratulate ourselves and ourselves, and say, I'm doing okay. I'm doing, I'm doing well. That's not what God has for us. Biblical kindness. Uh, then integrity, six, or goodness. Um, and what does Paul mean by, by that? He simply means this, that we're the same person all of the time. We're utterly reliable. We're utterly true to our word. The opposite of that is being an opportunist. The opposite of that is being a... Um, a hypocrite, a chameleon. Have you ever noticed that there's some people, I see it sometimes in children, uh, little kids that haven't yet learned (coughs) who they are. And so when they're with naughty kids, they're very naughty. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? And then, when when they're with good children that are well-behaved, they're well-behaved themselves. And they're easily influenced by either the very naughty or by kids that are well-behaved. Why is that? Because they're still developing the sense of integrity in their lives. They're still learning how to be true to themselves. So we don't beat our kids up. We help them to be people of integrity. Saying, no, no, that's not who God's made you to be. Let me help you. You must be integrous. You can't be one thing in this situation, and when you're in another situation, you're a completely different person. That's not consistent. (laughs) Okay? That's what it means to be integrity. And so it's the same with us. We can't let our wills be floppy. We behave in a certain way in one situation with one group of friends, and when we're in another group of friends, we behave completely differently. That's not integrous. That's being a chameleon. And so I want to encourage you that we would learn by the power of the Spirit that He produced these things in our lives. Um, Faithfulness. The Greek is pistis here. and That's also to be utterly reliable. Um, It's not being a fair-weather friend who disappears when things are difficult. Uh, But it's being consistent and faithful. Um, The opposite of that, of course, is that we want to be so loving that we never challenge people. <laughs> and never say, okay, well, that, that's not right. Let's not think like that. Let's not behave like this. Eighthly, we have gentleness that Paul um, t- talks about here. It's just, gentleness is really being self forgetful, it's the opposite of being superior, it's the opposite of being self absorbed. It's actually um, saying you're going to forget yourself and think about other people. That's what it means to be tr- truly gentle. Uh, ninth, lastly, self control. Uh, I would say that that means we can learn to pursue what is really important over what is urgent. Have you ever found that in your life? There's so many urgent things in your life that uh, you're pursuing that you never really get the important things done. Things that are more long-term things that you you really should be putting your energy to. And so we need to learn by the power of the Spirit to have that kind of self-control that we really can pursue what's important rather than just what is urgent from day to day. And I don't know about you, but when I look at these things, um, I just say, Jesus, I need more. (laughs) I look at my own life and I'm just saying, when I look at that, when I was preparing and seeing, you know, what Paul says about what these things, integrity, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, I'm saying, God, please, I need more of that in my life. And so I want to say as an encouragement to you this morning that if we can stop looking at our gifts and thinking that makes us like Jesus, because we have a number of gifts, if we can stop looking at our natural strengths as a sign that we are like Jesus, and rather just look at the fruits that Paul defines here and the unity that he's speaking about here, I think all of us would get on our knees and just say, Jesus, I need more of your (laughs) fruits. I need more. I need more. I need more kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control. I need more. And that's my encouragement to you this morning. Let's be those that are humbly asking God, saying, Jesus, just give me more of your fruit by the power of your Spirit. So we must ask this question, um, how can the fruit of the Spirit take root in our lives and how can it be produced in our lives? And fortunately, Paul's very kind. He gives us the answer straight away. Last thing I'm going to say in verse 24. He reminds us straight away of how we can see the fruit developed in our lives. He says, all those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. Remind yourself, this is the first thing you remind yourself of, I belong to Jesus. You want to see more fruit in your life? Remind yourself on a daily basis, I am not my own, I belong to Jesus. All that Jesus is, all that he has bought is mine. I am his, he is mine. Remind yourself of that. And that means that as we are welcomed home, just like the prodigal, was welcomed home by the Father. It's got nothing to do with our character. It's got nothing to do with us deserving it. It's got all to do with our good Father in heaven who welcomes us home. And he says, my son, come back. And he accepts us just as we are. And that's, that, for me, that's incredibly freeing. We can, give it, we can admit to ourselves we've allowed ourselves to be pulled in one direction by the flesh, and we can't free to confess that, Sometimes we say, Jesus, I haven't tried to walk by your spirit today. I'm really sorry. And he's loving and forgiving and he welcomes us home and he says, okay, let's give, it a, let's give it a go again tomorrow. The second thing I want to say is this. We remind ourselves we belong to Jesus. Secondly, because we belong to Jesus, Paul says, we have crucified the flesh. So I want to look at that as I close. What does that mean? Well, he defines it and says, it's the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And these, that word therefore, desires, literally, when we translate it from the Greek, means over-desires. Your passions and your over-desires. What that um, literally means for us is that by the power of the Spirit, we have to ask God to help us identify in our lives those things that are idols for us. I've got some idols in my life. Still have. You have got some idols in your life. These are uh, idols that are in our culture. Money, sex, power. These are idols. These are things that we think are going to save us. If I only can be more rich, I will be happy. If only I could get ahead in business, I would be more happy. That, that's an idol. When we over-desire that thing too much, it's an idol. And so I want to say to you that... When Paul says we are to crucify the flesh, what he really is talking about is strangling the life out of sin the moment it tries to motivate you. And not just dealing with the behavior afterwards. Okay? This is what I mean. Let's pick on alcohol because it's an easy one. What Paul is saying, he said, drunkenness is part of being fleshly. You can be a Christian, and you can get drunk. Is it God's plan for you? No, it's not. Am I encouraging you to get drunk? No, I'm not. What I am saying is this. that Paul says it's, a, it's, it's sowing to the flesh when you behave like that. Okay? And so what he's encouraging us to do is, if, is to admit to ourselves and say, I have a problem with this in my life. This is an idol for me. When I drink and I get drunk, I think people are going to accept me, whatever my bad my, my, my is. I want to be accepted by my friends so I drink too much to please them. Whatever it is. You have to have the courage to say that to yourself. You have to have the courage to admit that to yourself. So in the moment, you deal with, the, when the sin comes crouching at your door, you strangle it right there. And in the moment, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. Not so much as worrying about the behavior and the of afterwards. And beating yourself up and saying, oh, I'm so terrible. That's how people behave, isn't it? In the moment, Paul means, we crucify the flesh, but to do that we have to be honest enough and courageous enough to say, what are the things that really, really, really motivate me? That we can deal with those things. And it's different things for different people. For me, it's certain things. For you, It's other things. So I'm asking you this morning that we look at our own lives, not in an introverted way, not just so much at what we do wrong, but why we do what we do. I'm saying to you, when we can understand why we do what we do and what really motivates us, we'll start to live free. There are things that we desire too much that God wants to set us free from. I want to say to you this morning that the fallen part of us, our flesh always wants to be under the law. This is what I mean. The fallen part of our nature, that that part of our nature that desires to draw us towards sin, always wants to be under the law. Why do I say that? Because we want to save ourselves. (laughs) We are always trying to save ourselves. We are always trying to say, haven't I done a good job, God? Look at how I've overcome this in my flesh. Instead of just saying, Jesus, I need your grace. I need you to help me. And so, I think if we can pray pray things like this, Lord, my heart thinks that I simply must have this thing, otherwise I'm going to die, otherwise that I will not have value. But really, I know that's not true. Help me to think about how you see me. Help me not to forget what I mean to you, that I'm your son. Help me to see myself in the way that you see me. By your Spirit, Lord, help me to think about these things, to reflect on these things until that thing loses its attractive power over my life. How many of you read about Charlie Sheen this week? HIV positive. Uh, I I don't rejoice in that at all. I think that's a terrible thing. But if you read how he's lived his life, What do you think about that? I read this week that he's boasted that he slept with over 5,000 women. I don't know if that's true or not. But all I'm saying to you is, you sow the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. Can I just conclude by saying this? when I'm talking about crucifying the flesh, it's also necessary for me to say what it's not. It's not being hard on yourself. (laughs) It's not about beating up your body. And uh, I'm not picking on anyone who's a traditionalist here, but I always chuckle about Lent. Remember what Lent is? There's a tradition in the church that you give up things for Lent. And... um, what that normally means is that you give up something that gives you comfort or pleasure. That's, that's what it, It's really about asceticism. So people will say things like this, I'm giving up ice cream for Lent, or I'm giving up this for Lent, or I'm giving up that for Lent. I, I'm just being a little bit naughty, but I want to try and get you to see something. You know, that's Greek thinking. That's not Christian thinking. The Greeks said that the body... Is evil and the spirit is good. So we must do all that we can to put down the body so that the spirit is not tainted in any way. That's not Christian thinking. This is what I mean. How many of you have heard people say, I'm giving up jealousy for Lent? (laughs) I'm giving up anger for Lent. I'm giving up trying to get my own way for Lent. Now you see, this is what I'm trying to say. But, but Paul says, those are the obvious things of the sinful nature. Surely we should be giving up those things for Lent. <laughs> no, but you see, we like to, our flesh likes to, you know, we like to think, well, I've done a good thing by giving up ice cream and beating my body. I've done a good thing. Well, if you want to give up ice cream, that's cool. It might help you um, lose some weight, which might be a positive thing, I don't know. But it's not a spiritual thing in itself. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? It's aim in the right place, and so Paul is saying it's not passive either. This is what I want to mean uh, when when he uses that phrase, "I have been crucified with Christ." We can sometimes live as Christians as, well, God's done that all for us. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't have to do anything else. But it's not really, when you look at it closely, Paul is not saying that. He's saying it in a, not in a past tense way. He's talking about an ongoing process. He's saying that we, we crucify our flesh we, in an ongoing way. We put to death. We strangle sin in our lives the moment it crouches at our door. That's how we put the flesh to death. And then lastly, he says, we are to keep in step with the Spirit." And for me, that's such a positive thing. It's such a positive thing. It's not just about giving up something. It's not about just putting sin to death. It's not about just being obedient. It's, 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 it's recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is a living person in your life. He magnifies everything that Jesus is doing in your life. The Holy Spirit magnifies what Jesus is doing. He affirms what Jesus is doing. He helps us in all that Jesus is doing in our lives. And so I want to put it to you this morning, once you've had the courage to identify that idol in your life, that thing that (coughs) catches you every time, the Holy Spirit will help you to replace that thing in your life with the fullness of Jesus. It's not an intellectual thing. That's why I love worship. Because you know, the primary place where it happens is in worship. As we worship Jesus, as we start to see how beautiful He is and all that He's done for us, do you know what He does? That, that in our hearts, the place where the idols have been, He starts to take the idol out of our heart and give space for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. That's what He does. That's why when we worship, we are transformed. Because you see who Jesus is, we see who we are, and the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow by the power of living within us so I want to ask you we're going to break bread I've uh, emailed the home group leaders and I've asked them to uh, this week in your small groups to have three questions that they look at with you and I want to look at them now this morning I want us just to spend five minutes before we break bread just thinking about this one would you have the courage to examine your own life I'm not, I'm not asking you to examine your partners, your husband, your wife, your, anyway, your, your own life. Just, just for a moment, just quieten your heart, have a look at your own life and say, honestly, ask yourself, can I see the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? Okay? Secondly, ask yourself this question. Do you have any natural strengths or characteristics in your life that you might have confused with the fruit of the Spirit? Just think about that. And thirdly, as you look at your life, are there things that you can identify in your life that you think could be idols for you, that you need the Holy Spirit to dismantle? And how can you cooperate with the Holy Spirit more fully to see those things replaced with the fullness of who Jesus is? Yeah? So I'm not asking us to get introverted now. I'm just asking us to take a moment And just to close your eyes and just to reflect for one moment say, Jesus, can I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Are there strengths that I've confused with the fruit of your Spirit? Help me to see those. Thirdly, are there idols within me that I really think are going to save me? If I could just be more successful at work, if I could just be richer, if I could just be more attractive, if I could just get a husband, if I could just get a wife, if I could just have kids, these things would fulfill me. Whatever it is for you. And how can God help you to replace those things with Jesus let's just take some time